0: Good morning, everyone. Would you join me as we continue to worship the Lord as we uh, pray? O oh, living God, help us this morning to hear your holy word, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may truly understand, and that understanding we may believe and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Again, that's Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. You can turn to page 834 in the Pew
1: Bible underneath the seat in front of you. When you have found the passage, please stand for the reading of God's Word.
0: Hear now the word of the Lord. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life this is the word of the lord please be seated now you may have heard the term maybe growing up i don't know how recently you have heard but the term born again christian maybe someone you know personally kind of explain their relationship with god and identify themselves as a born again christian or maybe you've seen on tv a celebrity who would say that
1: he or she is a born-again Christian. You might wonder, are there other kind of Christians out there?
0: But the the term born-again Christian is kind of redundant. It's like saying a
1: three-sided triangle. By definition, a triangle has three sides. By definition, Christian must be born again. All Christians... At least those who are trusting in Jesus and
0: following Him, they have to be born again. And throughout the passage, Jesus says again, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You want to enter, you want to see, then you have to be born
1: again. And the question I want to ask us today is, are you born again? John chapter 3 is a very
0: familiar passage. John chapter 3 verse 16 is probably one of the most well-known verses of all time. Chapter 3, chapter 4, whether this Nicodemus story or chapter excuse me chapter 3 the Nicodemus story encounter as well as chapter 4 which follows which is another well-known story encounter of the Samaritan woman at the well. Both of these stories are prefaced by end of chapter 2. I don't know if you notice these verses that the gospel writer states. Verse 23 through 25 of chapter 2, he writes, Now when, G- when he was, referring to Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he, knew, he himself knew what was in man. These verses, kind of interesting, but it sets us up as we think about this encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus. The original language, um, when, when the translation, Jesus did not trust himself right before they trusted him or they believed in him, But he did not
1: trust in them. He knew what was in people's hearts. He knew what was in man's heart.
0: After all, Jesus is fully God. He's omniscient. No one has to tell him what people are thinking. Because there are these people who witnessed certain signs and miracles, and they believed in his name, but... This belief was not the kind of saving belief. It was an intriguing belief that drew them to Jesus, but it wasn't a saving kind of faith. You fast-forward a couple of chapters in John 6, the story where Jesus is feeding thousands of people, and people are raptured by what Jesus has done, and they love the fact that they can have their stomach filled, and they recognize Jesus as a prophet, and they wanted to make him a king. In verse 15 of chapter 6, um, Jesus, perceiving that they, were intent, that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, what did he do? He withdrew again to the
1: mountain by himself alone. By the end of the chapter, when Jesus teaches some hard stuff,
0: verse 66 of chapter 6 says, After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So it's after these verses that we come to verse 1 of chapter 3, the famous Nicodemus encounter. And it starts, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He could have, John could have easily said, now there was a Pharisee. But instead, he adds that word man Same word, anthropos, that he mentions before in the previous chapter. Now there was a man of the Pharisees echoing. Jesus knew what was in man, remember, previous chapter, and now here is a man. Nicodemus represents those who possess a certain
1: kind of belief in Jesus, but doesn't truly embrace and accept him as the Messiah. Nicodemus is a special man. I think rightly we think of
0: him as a Pharisee who is known for self-righteous hypocrisy. However, when you think about Pharisees of Jesus' days, these are highly respected people, a moral exemplar. They lived beyond the expectation of what an average person lived. And in addition to that, kind of moral. Um, standing, Nicodemus was also a leader. It says he was a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of Sanhedrin, which is basically the highest governing body. He was a member of a ruling elite, maybe not too different than if you were to say today's Supreme Court. And in addition, he was a scholar. He was a teacher of the scriptures. He devoted himself to studying. And the name Nicodemus, it's a Greek name, so likely he's an upper-class Jew, given both Jewish and uh, Greek name, signifying the two worlds in which they lived and traveled. And it's this Nicodemus who comes to Jesus as an inquirer. Perhaps charged by fellow um, Pharisees or religious leaders, perhaps he also had some curiosity of his own, hearing about the news of Jesus, his teaching, his healing, and
1: people gathering around him. Because one thing for sure, you couldn't ignore the signs that he was performing.
0: Maybe, maybe he's the Messiah that they've been waiting for. Is he the one? Well, he's not sure. He is curious to know, though. And in verse 2, this man, Nicodemus, uh, a man... This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Again, echoing the very language that we heard from the previous chapter, right? What brought people to Jesus and the kind of faith that they had, the kind of faith that Jesus didn't trust? Nicodemus has witnessed similar things and he recognized similar signs. Sure, Nicodemus is at the top, in, in terms of worldly kind of um, prestige. And as a Pharisee, you know, Pharisees also, you know, they, they have some accurate, correct views of theology. Um, they believe in divine decree. They, had, they accepted and believed in moral accountability. They believed in immortality. They believed in resurrection. They believed in angels. They believed in things like punishments and rewards in the future. However, One thing that we know that goes against is that they believe that you can attain uh, the kingdom of God by keeping ritual laws, um, and you can basically enter because you're born a Jew and you were circumcised.
1: This Nicodemus, maybe he was busy. He could have been. But the theme of night, darkness, is very intentional
0: throughout the Gospel of John. Darkness is never a good thing, and it's contrasted with light. It is possible that um, he came because he wanted to stay secretive about
1: being um, accompanying someone like Jesus. He wasn't confessing that Jesus was the Messiah, but he is sure that Jesus had been sent by God. He's seen just as a teacher who come from God.
0: And as long as you put Jesus as a teacher, you feel comfortable. Not too different from today, right? Jesus as a good teacher. But if you remember C.S. Lewis, Jesus can't be just a good teacher from all the things he has said, especially about his claim to be the Son of God. So he's part of this group of people who have witnessed who's been sent, and is inquiring. And today I want to, this is a passage that you could read, study over and over, and go on so many different levels, but today I want to look at three aspects of being born again. Um, the first point is the necessity of being born again. The second is the monogistic work of God in being born again. And third is the visible effects of being born again, the implication of being born born again. First point, the necessity of being born again. Out of all the things that Jesus could have pointed out, he goes right to it, to Nicodemus. It's like, truly, truly, and it's like, amen, amen, Amen. he repeats, it's emphasizing, this is important. And in in the book of John, it comes about 25 times, and these short verses we read, this um, double, amen, amen, truly, truly, comes three times to emphasize the importance. And he's saying that, you have to be born again. To see is to participate. To see the kingdom is to participate in the kingdom. And he's pretty much saying you can't participate in the kingdom. You can't even see the kingdom. In fact, you need to be born again. In ancient Jewish religion, all Jews would be in the kingdom unless either you're guilty of apostasy or blasphemy. So, You're born a Jew, you're circumcised, as long as you're not committing apostasy or blaspheming, you're already in the kingdom. So they thought. That's what they recorded in Mishnah, and that's
1: what they were uh, learning. But it is to this Jewish man,
0: who's a leader, who's a member of a ruling council, who's a Pharisee who's been studying, that Jesus says, You want to see the kingdom? You want to participate in the kingdom of God? Because you don't have it. In order to do that, the requirement is
1: that you be born again. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He can't help but think an earthly term. So
0: Jesus continues to explain in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which
1: is born of the spirit is spirit. No one is born a Christian. Flesh cannot produce redemption.
0: Old Testament prophets and New Testament teachers have taught this, yet here's a teacher of the law who didn't get this. Sure, you can be born in a Christian family, you can have Christian parents, you could go to a Christian school, you can go to and attend a gospel preaching church, but none of these things make you a Christian. All that the natural birth does is is given is flesh. And flesh is not, has no power to enable us to enter the kingdom of God. Unless you are born of the spirit of the living
1: God, we can't see it and we can't enter the kingdom of God. In the first eight verses repeats five times in slightly different ways. In ESV, I think
0: it comes up as being born again born of the water and spirit, born of the spirit, born again, born of the spirit, repeated it again, again, about the necessity of the need to be born again. You
1: must be born again. This is an offense to someone like Nicodemus, but that's the reality. Despite his moral uprightness, He's bankrupt before God, and he's dead before God. If there's any affection of Christ in you right now, it is by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, by his grace, who's given us life, raised us from the dead. Because until people are born again, again, You don't want to read his word. You don't want to obey his word. Spiritually dead people, they reject Christ. They have no joy of being with him. Martin Lloyd-Jones once spoke, the world is not
0: interested in the affairs of the soul at all and tries to avoid considering them. The world is spiritually dead. Dead in trespasses and sins, and regards spiritual things as utterly boring. It wants to enjoy the world. It is out for the glittering prizes that the world has to offer. But the Christian has been made spiritually alive. He's very concerned about the affairs of the soul. They are the things that come first in his
1: life and in all his thinking. How then has this happened? It is the power of Christ that has come upon him. Bible says that, we, that before we are born again, we're spiritually dead. And a dead person
0: can't believe, can't act. He has to first be made alive before he does anything else. And we are reminded of that as Jesus confronts Nicodemus about his need to be born again. Second point is the monogistic work of God in being born again. New birth isn't something we do. It's not something that you can do or I can do, but it is a purely supernatural, solo work of God. This language, born again, again, um, in, in the original word, it can be translated two different ways, again or from above. In other parts of the New Testament, the same word is translated from above, whether in the crucifixion scene when the veil is tearing from top to bottom or in um, later part of the same chapter, when the same word comes up, it's translated as from above. Um, New birth, a birth from above, is what actually John begins with in John chapter 1. He says that those who receive Jesus become children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's this
1: birth from above, from God, that he started out with. Let me ask you this morning, what role did you play when you entered this world? I mean,
0: we have babies now. Some of our moms are pretty fresh remembering what they did. But what did the babies do? What do we do? Absolutely nothing. We played no role. Birth happened to us when we entered this world. And it's this idea that our Lord uses as an analogy. And to assume that we could have any part in our physical birth is an insane idea. And in a spiritual sense, also, to assume that you and I can do anything with our spiritual birth is even more insane to be born again, to be born from above. It's a passive thing that happens to us, be, being born. And it's a work that we play no
1: part. Our birth happens to us, or it happened to us. The message of our Lord here is that it's a work of God. It's 100% work of God.
0: And it obliterates, destroys any sense of works righteousness that I can do anything, I've done anything to add to me entering the kingdom of God.
1: That's why we call this word monogistic. It's a work of God alone. And that's exactly the point Jesus is making to this ruler of the Jews,
0: a man of the Pharisees who's a teacher of Israel, who's still thinking an earthly term and can't quite understand. And he's thinking in literal sense. What am I supposed to enter into my mother's womb again and be born again in a literal sense? Jesus is using this word intentionally to mean two different things, but ultimately to point that being, being born again is about being
1: born from above, which is the foundation of salvation that it is solely work of God. Because Nicodemus doesn't get this, and he's confused, Jesus continues. In verse 5, he, he, again, truly, truly, this is
0: important, get this, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again or born from above, you can't see the kingdom. Now, you can't enter unless you're born of water and spirit. Now, the phrase born of water, um, it could refer to natural birth. It could refer to water baptism, but uh, most likely not in this context. Especially because of what Jesus says in response to Nicodemus' obtuseness, not getting, though he's a teacher um, of the scriptures it actually most likely echoes Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 36, 25 through
1: 27, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Sprinkle. That's what
0: we do when we have baptism, right? I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Water here is a metaphor of spiritual cleansing. And He's saying this is going together, this, um, a new heart and a new spirit as he cleanses. And this is solely God's work. Think about all the I will here in verse 25. I will, I will. It's what God does in verse 26. Again and again, I will. It's God who's going to do this. And at the end of verse 27, I will. Nicodemus should have known because this is part of the scriptures. He should have been studying this. He should have been aware that God's word has been speaking of this that salvation is not through your personal obedience, but it's something that God does. How could you be a
1: teacher of the law and not get this? How could you not understand this? God has basically
0: been saying that He's the one who's going to wash us of our sins and put His new spirit within
1: us. Yet this is something that Nicodemus didn't understand. Salvation. Being born again. Being born from above. Just as the analogy of birth, it's all God, is totally monogistic because He's the one, He's the only one who can give us new life. Third point the visible effects of being born again. New birth is revealed by its effects.
0: You wonder what happened to Nicodemus after this encounter? I mean, we're familiar with John chapter 3, verse 16, that happens after. Well, what, whatever happened to Nicodemus? I mean, he for sure recognized, well, at this point he, he didn't, but we know that it's not enough to be religious. And in order for us to enter the kingdom, we have to be born again or born from above something that God has to
1: do. And we know, as Jesus continues, that it's through the sacrificial suffering of the
0: one, the Messiah, he himself, that gives us new birth, that enables us to see and enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is the
1: way. Jesus is the gate. There's no other way but through Jesus Christ. To be born again, going back to the analogy of birth, is to forfeit any religious efforts. I don't add anything. I don't bring anything. Just as a baby comes into this world, not according to her or his contribution at all. To be born again, we trust in the God
0: who so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten Son, that whoever trusts in Him, instead of our moral standing, maybe our accomplishment, or our goodness in serving, whoever trusts in Him, not in our works,
1: shall be saved. Then we get to see the kingdom and participate. Then we get to enter the kingdom of God. Friends, are you... Inquiring of Jesus, maybe there are some of us here, like
0: Nicodemus, you've heard about him, maybe from a fellow friend, family, coworker,
1: and you hear Then Jesus's words to you would be, "You need to be born again." It's something that's going to have to happen through Him. You can't add anything to it. what is expected of us who are born again. Later in chapter 7, there's a gathering of religious leaders, and one
0: of the Pharisees asks, kind of rhetorically, um, if any ruler or Pharisee believe in Jesus.
1: It's getting tense, and it's a moment we get to hear Nicodemus speak out.
0: When he first came, he was just kind of an inquirer. Now he's on the right path. He's a supporter, and he speaks out and says, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? He speaks up by confronting his peers, risking his position of influence.
1: And we see that. So something happens between chapter 3 and chapter 7 that
0: leads him from being just a pure inquirer to being a supporter of some kind.
1: And by the time we get to chapter 19 of the Gospel of John, um, we see we see John, excuse me, Nicodemus with Joseph
0: of Arimathea um, asking for the body of Jesus. They took Jesus' body and Nicodemus brought more spices to embalm him then you could, showing deference and respect, risking public scorn in their lives,
1: no longer in secrecy, no longer in the dark, now in public as he asks. Nicodemus first came in the dark, but when it mattered, he came for Jesus in the light.
0: Because I think he got the message that Jesus taught. He understood the gospel that God so loved, the famous verse that we know, that even many non Christians know, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That God gave his son, and that this son is like no one else. And this son is compared to the serpent in the wilderness. Where those who looked at the serpent were saved. You see, at the end of the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, um, we'll look at verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Don't look to Moses, don't look to Abraham, don't even look to the temple. Don't even look to the law, because all of these
1: things were meant to point us to look to Christ. In Numbers 21, it's a sad state. Verse 4 through 6, it reads, Then they journeyed, these are
0: the Israelites, from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God, against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and our soul loads this worthless bread, manna that they're eating. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. You see, God delivered the people of Israel from slavery and provided for their physical needs supernaturally with manna from heaven. Yet these Impatient, impudent Israelites were grumbling, speaking against God and Moses. They were beyond
1: unhappy. They're basically rebelling against God. And what does God do?
0: He responds by sending a plague, not like against Egyptians, but now to his people. And these poisonous snakes, they come and they bite, and many. Died. But thankfully, God's discipline, God's chastisement had its intended effect. People of God repented. And in verse 7 through 9 of chapter 21, Numbers, therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. People who had been bitten by the poison snake were going to die. And the remedy that God gave was to look. Look toward the bronze serpent. Jesus told Nicodemus that we too... Are like in the state, apart from Christ, apart from the cross, we're exposed to this death. And when you think about the next two famous verses, especially John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And fast forward to verse eighteen, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's it's mirroring the things that happened when the Israelites were sinning and they had had the 100% chance to be
1: healed. But you know that some didn't look at that bronze serpent? They were dying and they refused to look. When we look to Christ on the cross, when
0: we recognize that we're sinners, we're spiritually bankrupt, we're dead, and we trust Him, as the substitutionary sacrifice who came to pay for our sins, when we look to Christ on the cross, when we believe in Him, we're not condemned anymore. Like the Israelites, when they looked to the serpent that was given. But when we don't look to Christ, when we don't recognize Him for who He is, what
1: He came to do, to shed light in this dark world, to pay for the consequence of sin and death, then we are condemned. Yes, God so loved that he gave his only son. But we have to believe. When I think about the language of being born again, and
0: us Americans using that verbiage, I think it should challenge us Because, unfortunately, in many ways, even those who identify ourselves as born-again Christians are not that different from when we look at our life, whether in our marriage, how we conduct ourselves in marriage, in the way we use our time and money, in in the kind of ambitions we have about life, as well as in the way, I mean, we talk about sex all the time, because sex and idolatry go so closely together, Unfortunately, there isn't a whole lot of difference between those who claim to be
1: born-again Christians and those who are non-Christians. This should awaken us, startle us. When the wind blows, though we don't know where it came from, we know it's impact, right? If we're born again, then there should be impact. As Ephesians 4, Apostle Paul tells us that we're created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. If we're born again, there are things that should naturally begin to happen. Spurgeon lists some of these.
0: Uh, He begins by listing faith in Christ and his gospel as the beginning point.
1: If you're born from above, you trust. You believe in Christ and His gospel, and you come to Christ for
0: salvation. You believe in the Bible, His word, and there is repentance from sin. Not just result, misery
1: that results from the consequence of sin, but sin itself we hate. When we are born from above, when we have new life, when
0: God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, births us into spiritual life, with new life comes new desires, new interests, renewed interest, new interest in things of God, love for God's people, joy in worshiping Him, hunger for His Word. After all, in Ezekiel 36, God said He will put His Spirit within us and cause us to
1: walk in His statutes. Brothers and sisters, do you see love growing in you, love for Him? Is there a little greater, a little more desire to please
0: Him? Greater interest in spiritual realities? Sometimes when I talk to young parents, Um, Like my kids' school uh, parents, they talk about things and their life is revolved around certain activities, drive for certain things. Spending so much time, energy, effort, and resources in these things, there's no desire, no
1: interest in spiritual things. Because they're not born from above. Everything is on physical terms because you only think of 60, 80, 100 years max. And we can't think those ways because we know that Jesus says we have to repent. We have to be born again.
0: As we examine ourselves for such evidence, the fruit in the way God is sanctifying us, as we pray every Saturday morning for holiness, How are we being sanctified as a church? How are we maturing? And as we examine ourselves honestly, courageously, I think we can also be reassured. I find comfort in knowing that the spiritual birth is just the beginning. And the same Holy Spirit that births us continues to work in us to mature us. And though we might have times when we want to give up, As God's word reminds us, it is he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day
1: of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, may we experience greater love for the Lord as we believe in him, believe in the one that he sent. Let us pray. Lord God, would you move us to be active inquirers, like Nicodemus was? There's
0: some of us here who are here for the first time. Instead of just hearing what others speak of, would you, be, would you move in our hearts so that we would encounter the Jesus of the Scriptures, that we would read your word and see for ourselves who you are and respond with faith. Lord, move in us so that we can be more than just religious
1: or moral people. We want to be moral. Let us say we want to be a good, decent person. But Lord, we are reminded why we want to be good and moral matters because how we live cannot
0: add anything to how we stand before you and what it means to be born from above because that is solely 100% your work. And just as we see in the book of John, how Nicodemus is presented. Moving from darkness to light, Lord, help us to be born again, born from above risk takers who are willing to take risks that cost us something, something great for your kingdom than merely being religious. Grant us the grace to be born again kingdom citizen
1: who lives sacrificially, joyfully for the king who gave himself Totally. Instead of looking at or to anything else, may we look to you, Christ, your cross. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.